This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. What's going on, guys? This is Henry Zamoda, and this is the Bro History Podcast. I hope you all had a wonderful 4th of July, that you had time to barbecue, maybe hit up the beach, maybe hit up the pool, light some mortars off, use some Roman candles, maybe some sparklers. Um, However you usually celebrate it, I I hope you guys had a wonderful time. And this episode is going to be a classic episode. So we mentioned in our 4th of July podcast that we released yesterday uh, that we did a podcast called German Tanks and Bat Bombs. And I realized that this episode hasn't been on iTunes or Spotify or any of the main platforms that we're on for quite a while, I, I believe over six months or so. And I really want everyone the chance to, to have the chance to listen to this because I thought this was one of our first podcasts where Danny and I really started developing good rapport. And um, I was just really proud of it at the time, and, and we had a really fun time recording this. It's not as political as our other podcast, which I'm sure some of you probably like. It's just straight up about World War II history, uh, joking around, and it was just a joy to record. And I, I was really proud of it when it when it first came out. Um, I think this was October of last year, so uh, right when we were beginning. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Make sure that you rate and review the podcast. I love you all, and enjoy the long weekend. Peace. What's up, brother? How are you, man? Chilling, bro. Thanks for asking. You're welcome, man. How was the wedding? It was fun. I went out to uh, Texas. Always love the great state of Texas. It was nice and warm, raining the whole time, but I had a really good time. You know, shout out to uh, Dan Flores, actually. I went to a cave recently in Texas, and they had some 8,000-year-old bear bones, and this one dude on the uh, tour pretty emphatically exclaimed, there are no bears in Texas. And I was like, well, you should listen to Bro History's episode where... Dan Flores schools us all on animals of the North America. Yeah, you, you're like, what the hell are you talking about? There were there were plenty of grizzlies that were roaming the Great Plains. Absolutely. There were before that there were the short-faced bears that were roaming the plains, which were the apex predator of the United States. That was like that had to be the most fascinating part of that podcast, talking to him about the animals. Yeah, I think so. Still too. live here because like you can't. Like, try to imagine being a person just watching days upon, like, just herds of buffalo that are just traveling down the Great Plains. And, like, the way that he described it to me is that it would just be days. Like, it would be days, like, it'd just be millions of them. It'd be, like, 18 million buffalo in one herd just traveling across the Great Plains. And it's just, it, it's just never ending. It's just never ending. And then... Must have sounded like rolling thunder. 
dude, it's in, it's insane the animals that used to be here that used to be living in North America. Yeah, man, that episode was really good. I mean, the, there was this one YouTube video that I was watching that that claimed that horses weren't indigenous to North America. And I'm like, ah, mm, I know someone who who knows otherwise. Dude, it's um, it's uh, knowledge that you're taught in school that's incorrect. It's I was taught the same thing in school. It's like, well, the Spanish brought the horses to North America wrong asshole they actually lived here first they went over they migrated over to eurasia they turned into z mother fucker thought you shut that off um they (laughs) you can just leave that in here (laughs) why not dude the other day the other day um i did a recording and i was talking about i believe it was an episode about the taliban and the muhajideen and just like how the foundation of it and like how they began their life cycle and then this siren goes off outside and these two guys start screaming, and I just start freaking out. I went outside, and I was like, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Can't you don't see you I'm any, trying to make a podcast Don't here? you see what's going on up here? No, I actually didn't do that, but I did I did lose my cool, and I didn't edit it out, so it's kind of funny. However, back to my point. Like, it's weird how people you're taught these things about that just don't end up they're like a storybook version of history and that's i think that's really what is taught in school just kind of like the dates of the general dates of things of what happened and then nothing really else none of the specifics yeah. no, none of the specifics because it, it's really cool to know that horses actually evolved out of north america and they migrated out and then they were brought back well i mean it, it's you know to segue into our conversation today you know war horses were you know the the preferred cavalry and uh that eventually shifted over to tanks so i guess that's a kind of a good way to segue back to what we wanted to talk about today so what kind of tank are we talking about today um sherman tanks motherfucking sherman tanks yeah i wanted to talk about sherman tanks because i actually saw something that was really interesting from uh from uh, the u.s state department in 1945 so the estimate was and this is like for people who don't know sherman tank was the M4 tank that was it was the primary tank that was used by the Allied forces at least for the United States and Britain. Um, Russia was using them as well, but they actually had tanks that were a lot more efficient than the Sherman tank. So the U.S. State Department released on um, it was documented that the estimate there was an estimate that it would take five Sherman tanks to take out one German Panzer tank. And that's pretty ridiculous when you think about it. And if the if the State Department said it five, it probably was more like seven or eight. And I was like watching a couple of documentaries as well about guys who used to, you know, be in these tank patrols or used to be in these tank crews in World War Two. And they were like, dude, it would take it would take five. It, we would have a dozen Shermans blasted away, um, crews all dead from just one Panzer. And God help them if they ran into a Tiger in Normandy. Um, those tanks, like the, the 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 American tanks, were just completely outmatched by German tanks in Europe, and a lot of casualties took place. It's fucking crazy, man. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess that five to one ratio number really informed the production of it, because as we'll find out today in our conversation, I think where the Americans were going was, you know, let's produce as many of these damn things as possible, uh, and just completely overwhelm uh, the German uh, forces with them, and so. At that time, uh, the max number of those Sherman tanks that were produced was almost 50,000, whereas number of Panzer tanks that were produced were just under 9,000. So, you know, when you, when you look at that 5 to 1 ratio, we built just enough to overcome the German 
tanks. And and by the way, fifty thousand is a ridiculous number of tanks. It, it it's it's absolutely insane. I'm looking at this right now on globalfirepower.com, just giving us the sheer number of like modern day tanks that we have now. In the United States, currently at third position, we only have five thousand eight hundred and eighty four active M1 Abrams tanks. But obviously, those tanks are way way better than the Shermans. Um, and and for context. Uh, today, Russia has 20,000. They're in that number one spot. So we're we're talking about in World War II, we eclipsed the number of just sheer number of tanks of modern tanks by like 30,000. Uh, though I'm sure that the ratio of like how many Sherman tanks can take out a Tu-45 is probably like 100 to one or something like that at, at today's standards. Dude, the um. The funny thing about the Sherman tanks is that the reason why we this the strategy from the U.S. State Department from you know from our military was to build as many as the tanks as possible because I think going into the war the U.S. wasn't really preparing for um, I, I guess they didn't correct yeah, me if I'm wrong they, they they weren't preparing for war with an industrial power like Germany even though the U.S. and Russia were both you know combined were a much greater industrial power than Germany but. Their whole strategy just turned in from all right. Our tanks are going to be blasted away from these Panzers and there's Tiger and these Tigers. Um, well, I guess the lives of the guys inside because it takes about what five six guys to man a, t- a Sherman tank Sherman or so. Sherman a crew of five. So yep. you're basically you're sacrificing 20, 20 lives because those for tanks one tank. <laughs> for, for to take out one tank. But those Panzer tanks, it was very valuable to take out those tanks because they're just they're they were nearly unstoppable. They're, they're ridiculous. Dude, you ever see? You watch Band of Brothers. I'm sorry. You watch Band of Brothers? No. You never watched. So you never seen Band of Brothers? No, dude. I, I, everyone tells me I should. Dude, it's so. I had a conversation with uh, with a, with an actual screenwriter on another episode about Hacksaw Ridge, and mm-hmm. we were just comparing like mo- like different war films. That's right. Um, have you seen Hacksaw Ridge? That's a whole topic. I saw Hacksaw Ridge. I also saw Fury, which features pretty prominently the the Sherman tank. Yeah, I never saw. I know. I never saw Fury. I know that it was entertaining. About, I know that it was about Sherman tanks. I don't know how historically accurate it was, but it was pretty yeah. entertaining. There's a scene. There's a scene in uh, Band of Brothers where I think it's some town in France. I forget what battle it is, but it's like a couple of days. It's like D-Day plus like 12 or something like that. And um, they're in this, they're and they're in this French town and they're maneuvering this, this Panzer tank. No, I think it's a tiger tank. It's a tiger tank. Or I think it's, it's probably a tiger two. Mm-hmm. Cause there was two tigers. There's a tiger one and the tiger two. I'm not sure when the tiger two was manufactured. If that was fact, I think that was, might've been at the very, very end of the war. I can find out. Yeah, look, I think the Tiger II was probably was manufactured in 1945, 1944, towards uh, right before the Battle of the Bulge, because the Tigers came when during the Battle of the Bulge when they had that when the Germans made that big counteroffensive, they brought all their Tiger twos. So I'm pretty, I, they they had to have been assembled before um, 1945. Tiger One or Panzerkampfwagen, uh, 1942 to 1944. Tiger Two, Panzerkampfwagen Tiger, also uh, that's a German heavy tank from 1943 to okay. 1945. So there's Got about it. a year overlap between the Tiger One and Tiger Two. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because during the Battle of the Bulge, that's when like the U.S. we the U.S. Army was running into Tigers from time to time, and like they were menacing. Like they would they would take out a dozen Germans. Um, but that's when the German Army really like they threw all their Tigers, they threw all their Panzers because at that time. The war on the on the Western Front in World War II for Germany was just some crazy side sideshow for them. The real war was in Russia, right. but then at the Battle of the Bulge was their attempt to go ahead and just you know split 
the you know split the British and the United States Army into two in the, in the English Channel, and they brought all their Germans and they brought not excuse me they brought all their Panzers they brought all their Tigers and they literally just the U.S. Army evaporated you know the Allied Army evaporated there, and the only reason why the U.S. really won, I think the only guys that were really left were a handful of uh, paratroopers, um, who were who were in Bastogne, but they ran out of gas. <laughs> They ran out of they ran out of gas. That fuel economy, though. No, well, that's because <laughs> ironically, ironically, the German tanks because they were much bigger. I mean, they were forty tons bigger. They were but forty. Let, let's be real. The the Sherman tanks were thirty tons. The the Panzer II I'm looking at is seventy tons. That's a lot heavier. That will eat at any amount of fuel that you throw at it. Um, still looking for the for the range of these things, but I know that one of the things. That was pretty good about the Shermans was that it had a between 100 to 150 uh, mile uh, range on a on a full tank, which is not amazing, but it's still pretty damn good for war. Uh, I mean, it can get you from point A to point B, uh, and I think a lot of that had to do with you know the fact that that they were much much lighter, you know, depending on the loadout, of course. Well, the big thing with the Sherman is that they could just manufacture more of them. Mm-hmm. Like a after the more. war, after the war, that we were left over with all these Sherman tanks, and we ended up selling them to like Egypt and shit. Yeah, I actually, just found out before, just before this uh, uh, recording, like I found out that evidently in service from 1945 to 2018 by other users. Still trying to figure out exactly who's still using Sherman tanks at this time this point but i think i read somewhere like paraguay might be well, using them which is pretty funny well sherman tanks they were they were very successful in the the british were using them very successfully in the battle of al alamein mm-hmm. am i saying that correctly el aliman el aliman so they were using them very successfully there um but like they were it was desert warfare sherman tanks they make sense for desert warfare because they're you know they're quick they're quick and they're small and they're compact and mm-hmm. but um they actually did pretty poorly in in um in the mud which is you know pretty much all the eastern front um and and the reason for that was because uh the way that they manufactured these tanks was they wanted to make them uh like they had height and width restrictions on them so uh the reason for that is because they didn't want to carry around all this extra equipment to get them over bridges and you know under tunnels and things like that so they made them very short and very narrow uh so that they can pass through you know in urban terrain as well uh, but because they had such a short uh, um, wheelbase, such a short, uh, uh, I should say, tread base, they didn't actually have wheels, um, they, they would sink into the mud a lot yeah. easier uh, because pretty much all that weight was concentrated on a, on a, on a, like a much uh, narrower plane, um, which kind of, I mean, I have such a love-hate relationship with this tank. And in, in many ways, they're dope. They're really, really cool, and they definitely paved the way for much much more modern tanks and definitely fueled you know United States uh, economy, you know, post-war as well, you know, all, all of the uh, manufacturing uh, that sprung up just to make these damn tanks, you know, eventually turned into things to make airplanes and cars and, and stuff for consumers. Um, so I, I love and hate this tank, but as far as a battle tank goes, it was really, really under par. Uh, I think that they were just trying to use mass, you know, just overwhelming numbers to, to try and, 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 you know, put them to, into effect. Now, against uh, regular infantry, these things were monsters. Yeah, of course. Know? Of course, but the reason why they sent so many Sherman tanks over to Europe is because they could send so many Sherman tanks over to Europe. Like, they couldn't go ahead and just, you know... First of all, you know, the German engineering... There was just different German engineering, so they didn't have the German military engineers who were building these out. Um, they just needed tanks, and they needed them quickly, and they needed something that was easy to transport. 
when you're immobilizing an entire country and you have you know Chrysler and Ford and and uh, basically like every major auto manufacturer mass producing these fucking things you need to you want them to be transportable like that was that was like one of the, that was probably one of the main reasons why um that was a preferred vehicle of the you know of the allied army it just it just took it just would cost about 20 lives to take out one panzer tank or sure. one tiger tank and i think not not to underscore it it was pretty pretty amazing how they got that many tanks over in the first place because again what you said you know earlier was that i don't think the united states was really ready for like ground invasion in, in europe you know where we have the distinct advantage of being sandwiched between two large oceans you know so and and our neighbors aren't necessarily uh you know military powerhouses like we are uh so being able to ship over that many tanks must have been ridiculous because german u-boats were definitely on the prowl you know all over the atlantic um and uh, i think that that kind of uh, necessitated a lot of the the different variations of, of the uh, of the Sherman tanks. Like for example, one of my favorite ones that looks absolutely ridiculous uh, was the duplex uh, the duplex drive uh, or um, uh, the Donald Duck that they called it, which is basically they put like this collapsible skirt around the top of the hull uh, to make it like float, and they also had little propellers in the back. It looked absolutely absolutely ridiculous, but they were absolutely instrumental in storming the beaches in Normandy. Um, because they were able to launch them off the regular vessels, you know, the, the larger uh, um, the larger barges, and uh, get them onto the shores relatively quickly. Um, and again, overwhelming forces. I'm sure a lot of them got shot out of the water, you know, were sunk on the way uh, over to the beach. But just because there were so damn many of them, uh, they were able to really get, get over. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it's pretty pretty marvelous the, the amount of ingenuity that the Americans had to have, uh, not only to, to create this many of them but then to ship them over thousands of miles uh on that technology yeah and just think about once you get there once you get those tanks over to europe you need a, you need some you need tanks that can tra- be transported on railways mm-hmm. so that was another that's reason where, that's where the um the height and and width restrictions came into play you know they didn't want these giant menacing super wide uh, uh tanks because then they wouldn't be able to go through tunnels. Uh, they wouldn't be able to fit on on standard size uh, uh, rail cars, um, and and that's where I kind of like them. They were highly maneuverable. They were fast. Had a really good range, but the armor on them, and I think this is like the tragic flaw. I think it was like two and a half inches, three inches thick at most uh, steel. You can throw a fucking rock through that. <laughs> Seriously, in, in reality, you can throw a fucking rock at that and get through it. Like you can dent. I bet if you took like a like a Noah Syndergaard or some guy who throws a hundred miles per hour and you give him like a metal ball or something like that, something that's like like, like maybe just like a shell that's not explodable, you might put a dent in it. Yeah, you'd put a dent in it. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, imagine a fucking. I mean, how big was the gun on a Tiger or a pan, even just the Panzer? Mm-hmm. What was it like seventy? Panzer, I think they were seventy millimeter. Seventy um, millimeter gun, just boom. Dude, your only fucking chance is if you get, if that shell goes through one side. It like that's your only chance of survival if you get shot by one of those. If you're driving, if you're in a Sherman, if it literally goes through the plates and out the other side. I mean, not to mention the 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 amount of arm like like shells that the Panzers were able to carry. Like they can carry more armaments than than a um, than an a, uh, excuse me, not an Abrams um, than the Sherman tanks because they were just bigger. They had more capacity, more space, more pretty much everything. Um, but these Tiger Twos, there was only there was only five hundred of them built, so they just literally could not keep up. 
Don't you find that fascinating, though, that um, during the Battle of the Bulge, that it was a successful counterattack, like, in all, in all means, but they ran out of gas on their way to the English Channel. Like, isn't that something really crazy to think about? Yeah. <laughs> and something something that I've always thought about is um, when America, and I've, I think I've said this in another episode, when the U.S., when they saw that, they're like, holy shit, these guys just ran out of gas. We never want to be that guy. We never want to be that guy. Seriously. That actually, I think the, the next, like that same week, FDR uh, met with the king of Saudi Arabia. Really? Yeah, that he they that's I mean it's said there's there's some historians there's some guys that say say that was one of the big cattle because that's when the relationship w- between that's when the marriage the union between the the U.S. and Saudi Arabia really started right after World War II. Obviously, there was a lot of other reasons the U.S. was trying to kick out the British Empire and the French Empire out of the Middle East and also keep Russians out as well. Um, however, they were they really uh, um, they started making a strong relationship with Saudi Arabia and, and they made, they signed a, um, the, 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 uh, the union, I guess, whatever contract was, it's not a, it's agreement. What we what treaty is that the U S would protect the Saudi Royal family, no matter what, um, from internal or external threats. That's interesting. And that yeah. must've been where, where we started, uh, sending over a, a bunch of our, of our own weapons there uh, to protect them internally. Not- well, that, that, that's where a lot of it begins. And that's just, that's just kind of, that's some bro history for you, man. Just, just like some bit. shit I'm making up. Like the thing I said about George Bush and Margaret Thatcher the other day, <laughs> which I got in trouble for. Um, however, <laughs> should I repeat it? No. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to repeat it. But um, yeah, it's nuts. It's, uh, it's nuts. Um, you know what's really cool? Well, it's, no, it's actually horrible. I don't want to. I don't want to say it's really cool. What's interesting? What's interest? What's interesting is that um, the U, the German army only really had one oil field during the war. And I didn't know that. Yeah, they only had it. There, there was only one major um, oil field. So where were they getting all the gas? Romania. Mm. They had an oil, a big oil field in Romania. And you know when, um, so Hitler, after Operation Barbosa, they got all the way, all right, let, let me just go back a little bit, because I think not everyone, I'm assuming probably about 50% of the audience right now knows about Operation Barbosa. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I'd say so. I would say about, I know there's a lot of military guys who listen to this, so I know they, they definitely know. But uh, Operation Barbosa was um, Hitler's, I guess, first attempt in, in uh, invading the Soviet Union. And it was a sneak attack. And um, he had, basically, they got all the way over to Moscow and it got too cold. They got, they didn't want, they Something got, to, they got to Moscow. They were destroying <laughs> everything on their way there. It got too cold and they had a, you know, the attack, they had to go back. So their second offensive, they had um, two armies. They had Army Group North and they had Army Group South. Um, Army Group North went over to Leningrad and they had that long siege in Leningrad where um, they basically killed everyone in the city. Mm. Um, the Army Group North, which was uh, Hitler's, I think, sixth army, died in Stalingrad. I uh, can't quote. Don't quote me on that, but probably let me, let yeah. me look that up. Anyone, please feel. Anyone listening, please feel free. Uh, please feel free to correct us if we have anything wrong. Yeah. Um, we want participation. Um, so I think it's I think it's Hitler's sixth army. Um, when their their job was to go capture the oil fields down in, in, uh, in southern Russia, and that's where Stalingrad was. Mm-hmm. So um, here's something that you're taught that's wrong, that many people are taught about the Battle of Stalingrad. They think that 
Um, Hitler only wanted to um, take over Stalingrad to thumb it in the face of Stalin because the city was named after him. Right, or, it was, or because of the prospect of Lebensraum. Like, they just want to yeah. take over as much room as possible. There was, it was more tactical than It that. was more tactical. They, they wanted to get to the oil fields in southern Russia. But what happened was, is by the time they got there, the oil fields were already destroyed. What Russia did during the war, the Soviet Union did, because the Germans were beating the shit out of the Soviet Union during the first year of the war. Mm -hmm. Absolutely beating the shit out of them. Like, you would have thought they would have, the Soviet Union would have fell in a couple of weeks. What happened was that once um, they, the Soviet Union started destroying all of their factories and stuff as they were retreating back into... Kind of back scorched into, earth. They, they, yeah. yeah, scorched earth. They were, they were destroying everything. So once they got to the, the oil fields... I think only, they could only probably use about 50% of the oil reserves that were in, in that oil. So it cost them more oil to actually get to the oil fields in Russia. And then come back, right? And then come back. Man, it's really it really tells you how important oil is. At least the Shermans. Yeah, I, don't, yeah, I don't know how much. Well, kind of back to the Shermans, I, I guess that that's one of the things that I really liked about the Sherman was the range. You know, being lighter and quicker, uh, they were able to go farther. Uh, than than most tanks, and I think that was super important, especially when you're importing them from like thousands of miles away. Um, but I mean, we, I actually, uh, I'd like to speculate on this. What was what was our oil situation at the time? I, I know that we, the United States, does produce quite a bit of oil, but you know, getting it overseas like that, you know, what do you know anything about um, what the oil situation was like on the ground in World War II on that on that um, on that Western Front? I, I'm, I'm not an expert on this. I'd love to get someone on the show who can discuss this. I do know at that time, though, we were still producing a massive amount, a massive amount of oil. Right. In, in North America. In the U.S. alone, we were still producing a lot of oil. But that transatlantic journey was rough because German U-boats were dangerous, dangerous as hell, you know? I don't know. I, I don't know the full story of that, of how many, of how many um, like, U.S. embargoes or... or whatever were taken down by u-boats i think that was more of an issue in world war one wasn't it well i mean u-boats german u-boats have always been pretty dangerous world war one and two um that they, they just make really good subs maybe we'll talk about that in another one yeah well i think i'm probably wrong about this and i'm only speculating but i know in world war one um one of the huge issues was that german u-boats were just taking down all like even civilian they, they were just they were taking like down that. pretty much any ship that wasn't a german ship Pretty much any ship on the water was was uh, destroyed by U-boats, and uh, it was becoming a really big issue because Britain's navy was it was like there's almost a fear of going on the sea, and um, it was a civilian government from from Britain that actually came up with the idea to have these big um, envoys. Am I saying that? Is it an envoy? A group of ships together? What's the word? Oh, uh, I don't think it's envoy. Um, I don't think it's envoy. British. Uh, well, they started traveling. So all the all the supply ships and all the all the ships that would go back and forth to to the U.S. to transport weapons and to, you know to buy weapons from the United States, they started be they were accompanying. They were all grouped together. So if a German U-boat came, you know they would be able to destroy it, <laughs> or at least maybe lose a couple of ships. So kind of like then. the same same configuration that we have right now with our with our. Um... Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> Same configuration that we have with our um, aircraft carriers today, right? Like they don't they don't roll out on their our own. Like one aircraft carrier by itself can absolutely devastate another country. One of ours, at least those Ford class ones. But they don't roll by themselves. They have you know battleships, cruisers, you know 
destroyers, things like that, uh, that, that so other support vessels um, that kind of surround uh, the, the main uh, destroyer. So I, I guess that's that's probably where we get the idea from. Rolling deep. So what was the what? What do you think the best tank was in World War Two? Oh, if you um, all right. So if you had to choose between being a tank operator or being in a tank crew um, in World War Two, what tank would you want? To I don't be it, in? Definitely not a Sherman tank. Let's just take that. <laughs> well, it just depends on the terrain, right? This is really important. Like, where does it? Where are we fighting? Where does the you know where does the tank come from? So like, if we're in the German like on German soil or German occupied territory, I want I want a Panzer II, just because you know the terrain you have logis- logistical supply lines you know um set up so that you know um if you run out of gas you can refuel relatively easily right so you have those supply routes and that tank is just much bigger much thicker much stronger larger much larger barrel you know just everything about it was better um i will say though that even in one of those tanks if you got surrounded by five shermans even if you could take them out, like, just that might be a little scary. But I think I'm sticking with the German tanks, man. I think I'm sticking with well, Tigers. Well, absolutely, you're sticking with the German tanks. But I guess I guess we didn't really prepare to talk about the Russian tanks because they were actually making some quality stuff as well. And um, I, one of the something I read about the Russian tanks is that um, they all used the same spare parts. So it was they would. So Russian mechanics would be able to use the same same parts on one tank on the or the other. I think the I think there was the Joseph Stalin one and the Joseph Stalin two were the two their two big tanks. Well, they, they, the T thirty fours were the big ones from Russia. Mm-hmm. Okay, seventy six point two millimeter guns, V um, two diesel engine, uh, just a ridiculous like one hundred and fifty two millimeter howitzer. They they were armed to the teeth. They were really really good, really really good tanks. You have to think what what would have happened uh, if there was an engagement between the Allied forces on the west and Allied forces on the east at Berlin if they met and engaged engaged with each other in in with each other. Let's just say okay, so basically, um, all the German tanks are. I mean, there's really not that many German tanks left. How, however, this is a different topic. I don't want to get too off topic, but. Um, you have to think with the Russian tanks, they would have just they just would have marched all over the the American British forces in Western Europe if if they kept on moving. Well, I mean, again, I think that Unless, part of that has to do with the fact that it's like it's on the same land plane, right? So you have to remember that we had to import thousands, tens of thousands of tanks from the U.S. over to to you know Europe, and to a certain extent, even though they're closer, uh, Britain still had to to move forces and 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 supplies from Britain to you know the 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 mainland europe you know so yeah they have home court advantage you know like setting up a supply line on the ground whether that's you know rail or or road or or even uh um, some limited airlift like you can do that relatively easily it's hard to get that much over now if we're if we just like i don't know went back to pangea you know where everything is one giant continent that would be a different that would be a different story i don't think that the the russians would have been able to keep up uh, with just the mass mass production of the U.S. 
Well, yeah, that's true. And the U.S. probably just would have bombed every single Russian city into obliteration. Yeah, I mean that was kind of our mo. Wasn't that it? was that was the, that was the Allied strategy, at least from the British and the Americans. Just firebomb just to, everything. Let's just destroy their cities. Do you all remember Dresden? <laughs> we'll have to talk about let's, that, dude. I've just, been to Dresden. It's crazy. Really? Yeah, dude. It's crazy. They have this one church that was absolutely destroyed, but then they've they've rebuilt it, um, kind of using most of the same rubble that was from the old church but you can like see it looks kind of like polka dotted like you'll see the old brick and the new brick and some and it took them until like something like 2006 to to rebuild it from it took like 70 years it's ridiculous but yeah that it was completely destroyed that all of all of dresden is like new um we'll have to talk about the firebombing at dresden it, it was legitimately probably one of the worst like human rights <laughs> violations and and just crazy war uh, uh stories like it very indiscriminately bond everything. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's crazy. Uh, it's crazy, man. It, that happened in Hamburg as well. Hamburg? Hamburg, Germany. Mm-hmm. There was a firebombing there. At the end of, in 1945, the Allied forces were wiping out a city every single week. Like, they were wiping out cities off the map like every on a weekly occurrence. People don't, or everyone talks about the bombings of Japan. The one thing that they'll, they'll be like, oh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, if now, if the dumbasses in today's, at least who are around our age, even know of, of, about that, like sometimes Seriously. I want, sometimes I wonder, but um, they'll just know about like the atomic bomb, like their knowledge of World War Two is like okay, um, Hitler was bad, um, the ban- Japanese were bad, <laughs> Hitler was bad, the Japanese were bad. Oh God, I, I didn't even know the Japanese were bad, dude. <laughs> I've talked to people who don't, who didn't, who did not know that we fought Japan during World War Two. They forgot Pearl Harbor. They they just they were like oh Pearl Harbor was just some movie with Matt da- with Matt, <laughs> Matt Damon, Damon with Ben Affleck and was it Matt Damon who's I don't the know other, dude they, the they other, look the same to me I, who was I the other it, hot guy there was know, two dude. hot guys and and uh it's Matt Damon no it wasn't Matt Damon it was Ben Affleck and another hot guy Josh Hartnett I don't know dude I need to look this is gonna drive me crazy right now but people forget people forget that um, we firebombed Japanese cities on a weekly occurrence as well. 70% of Tokyo was destroyed. Yep. Do our, in like probably like a month period, mm-hmm. maybe a, a two month period. And we were dropping, not just, we were, we were just intentionally just setting the, 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 the cities on fire in yep. Tokyo. We were just dropping just daily, just like, poop. Have you heard of, um, have you heard of bat bombs before? No, what's a bat bomb? Oh my God. I just learned about this, um, very, very recently. Uh, so evidently, you know, war, War makes people think in really creative ways on how to kill each other. Um, and we had already been making, um, like, homing pigeon bombs that were dropped from um, from uh, uh, planes. So basically utilizing homing pigeons to, to guide missiles, like crudely guiding missiles. Um, but these bat bombs were basically like, uh, it was like a canister, right? Like a metal canister full of a thousand bats, right? And each bat had like a small explosive strapped to them. And they were used these bats because evidently, uh, I forget the actual name of the bat, but they're 
they're like the fastest moving creature on the planet that can move like forwards uh so peregrine falcon can dive bomb at you know 180 miles an hour but that's only downwards whereas a bat can fly 90 miles an hour straight which is wicked fast and they have the tendency of especially if you if you you know set them out you know in in the you know in the morning they have a tendency to go find like go hide in places right whether that's like a tree or like your roof or your garage or something like that so they would have this canister and it's full of a thousand bats strapped with bombs they would drop it from a plane and and at a certain it would parachute down so it would come down slowly at a certain altitude i think it was about a thousand feet the the chamber doors would open all the bats would fly out in every single direction and basically everywhere from a 40 like kilometer excuse me 40 mile um radius there would be these thousand bats with these bombs on them and all the bombs would be set with a trigger and then they would all just explode and like, set fires insane. everywhere wait <laughs> where when do they use these uh so this was in development around the just oh. before just before they they um worked on the manhattan project this was going to be the bomb like this the was bat bomb yeah dude this thing is absolutely insane so you can imagine like imagine one bomb 40 mile radius of just fire everywhere holy like, shit that's super so indiscriminate crazy. absolutely ridiculous and they and they can breed them really fast too. The bats, you know, they, they breed pretty quickly too. So it it was it wasn't a thing to, you know, to make a bunch of these things. Dude, let's take a break and let's talk about the bat bomb more. That okay. is so <laughs> insane. I I yeah, we'll we'll be back. So bat bombs. <laughs> yeah, bat bombs. That's insane, man. That's one of the craziest things that I've ever I've ever heard of in military technology. I guess it didn't really work out that well, did it? No, but, no, it didn't. So like uh evidently, you know, you have to test everything you make, right? You can't just deploy it without trying it. So they had some trouble getting it off the ground, like pun intended. Um so what they would do is they would fly this airplane around five thousand feet. I, I I just looked into it again, to drop it out. It would parachute down to about a thousand feet, and the thing should open. Uh, but when they were testing it, while they were still on the ground, evidently at one of the uh, air force bases, one, it opened up prematurely, <laughs> uh, and all thousand of these bats just start flying everywhere, uh, all over the um, all over the base, and you know just start exploding. So like apparently like the 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 commander's car got exploded, like everyone's running and and. and Think about mass chaos. It did exactly what it was intended to do. Just did it way too early. So I don't know. I thought that was hilarious. And um, a couple times when when they tried it, it the, uh, the 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 doors of the canister wouldn't open up. So you know, the thing would just fall, and you know, a thousand bats would just die. Um, but I mean, this weapon was fucked up on so many levels because not. I mean, you think cluster bombs are bad? Can think you imagine? Of, think about the bats. Seriously, like like if Peta was listening to this, they'd be very upset. Um, no, think about cluster bombs. Like cluster bombs are outlawed right now, right? That that's you can't use cluster bombs in war. Uh, this was like a cluster bomb that just moved around like erratically and went exactly to places where it would cause the most destruction. And since they were planning on dropping this on on Japan, where most of their homes were made of wood, like you can imagine, a small explosive goes off, it's going to set a fire. Uh, so pretty much fire everywhere for 40, 40 you know, a, a mile radius, which is absolutely insane. Um, they eventually just like ditched the idea because it cost too much money and, and it w- just wasn't working as intended. But 
um, the successor to this program was, of course, the Manhattan Project. So, you know, um, we can thank the bats for the bomb, for for the <laughs> nuclear bomb, I guess. I don't know. Thank Yeah, thank the bats for the nuclear bomb. That's crazy, though. Imagine, just imagine that thing. That's like the most terrifying thing I've ever heard of. Like bats just are like already swarms. pretty creepy. <laughs> yeah, they're already just like a swarm of exploding bats, essentially. But they would detonate, so they would find a hiding spot. Um, they would fly around. Most most likely, they would find a home. They're on a fifteen minute timer, so they you know fifteen minutes okay. they can get pretty far. Because remember, these the, the, it was the short tailed bat, right? Uh, they can fly ninety nine miles an hour in a straight line, so they can get pretty far. Dude, you ever see? You ever play the game Gears of War? Yeah, of course. You know how like there's air times there's like levels where like you'll go out into a certain area and there's like these things that like come out of the air and mm-hmm. they just they slice you up and kill you. Yep. That's what it sounds like to yep. me. Like imagine being imagine being bat, bat, all right, so how many bats are in one bomb again? A, a thousand. So a thousand bats. And I'm assuming that if that was a successful if I mean if that was gonna be an actual military plan, we would have hundreds of if not thousands of bombers well, that they, would be they wanted they wanted um to secure a million bats. Holy so shit. So that'd be like good enough for a thousand bombs, you know? Holy shit. So uh, a thousand and, and bombs. each of them have a have a, a, a forty mile radius, or at least that's what they estimated. So a thousand times forty is what four hundred thousand radius, four hundred thousand mile radius. Am I doing math right? <laughs> but that's fucking huge. I don't even know what the. Just, I feel just, like that's like all of Japan. <laughs> imagine, imagine, imagine that happening in New York City. I mean, it would it would cover us. In, it would just just it would swarming, cover us with one bomb. <laughs> but it's just like such a nightmarish. Like it's, it's 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 right out of a nightmare. Like just a bats. Like just seeing the bats and knowing, like that that's the prelude of you uh, of of your destruction. You know, like oh my god, the bats are coming. We're about to all die. It sounds like it's straight out of of, of like some horror science fiction Seriously. film like it really sounds like one of the most haunting experience in the world by the I, way area of japan 145,000 miles squared so just you know not too many of them to to, to <laughs> cover the entire people all right, of japan it's already so let's just say if you're in a in a bombing let's if you are in, unfortunately to be in a city that has a fire bombing in it mm-hmm. and just having millions of bats just swarming and you knowing that that's going to be like that's your death call like that's like oh the bats are out they're coming like that's got to be more haunting than well the fucking part is that that they wouldn't know that's the even crazier part you would have to see this was like a covert project right so like nobody nobody wouldn't like it was on the order of the manhattan project where nobody knew that we were developing it so i'd imagine the first time you see it you just see like a swarm of fucking bats flying around all over the sky and then suddenly explosions in 15 minutes, like just everywhere. That would have been absolutely insane. Yeah, imagine just like seeing that that one bomb, that, that, that first releasement of bats and like knowing that those bats are going to be going to destroy certain areas of your city. Like it just like how do you even stop them? Like you, once they're out, like good luck catching them. You know, like that. <laughs> that sounds like the most terrifying weapon I've ever heard of in in modern in modern warfare. The only thing that I feel that has been that that rivals that that's never been released. Thank God was when uh, the Soviet Union was trying to mix uh, Ebola with uh, oh, small bio warfare. Yeah, no, fuck but, that. <laughs> Ebola. The Soviet Union was trying to mix Ebola with uh, with um, smallpox. That sounds scarier, but no. But the imagery of a bat bomb is definitely. I think that takes the cake of just 
holy shit well i mean that's certainly not the first time that 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 we've used like animals um you know to our advantages in war i mean you were just telling me outside during our break about you know how the russians were using how they were using their dogs you want to talk about that well yeah the russians used to tie bombs to dogs and they used to train the dogs to run at tanks and explode and exploded them yeah that's awful like that's pretty that's pretty fucked up but i mean they were doing that to human beings as well so you got to remember that the mm-hmm. russians stalin stalin um was he did he say that it takes uh you have to break a few eggs to make an omelet was did he quote that or I, am i, am I, I don't wrong? know but i know someone said that he definitely lived by that philosophy um he definitely didn't really care about killing masses amounts of people so obviously he didn't really give a shit about killing a, one dog for a tank when you think about it it was probably more moral than sending a human like you know 10,000 It's more moral than a suicide bomber. Yeah, it's more moral than a suicide, (laughs) as much as it's horrible to to hurt animals. But, um, yeah, the bat bomb is haunting, man. That's like, if someone's, I bet somebody listening to this who's a writer is going to use that in a in a book. Like if I was a, I would use that idea. Tom Clancy's Bat Bomb. No, just like (laughs) more of a, more of like a Stephen King type novel. Like, (laughs) oh, the bats are coming. The bats. The bats are coming. Could you imagine doing the same thing with rats, though? Like on Holy the shit. Just a bunch of, like, bomb rats. Oh, dude. Bomb rats. That would be a lot more effective in New York City. I can yeah. T- I can tell you that much. I feel like most of them okay. already have bombs on them anyway. I can tell you that much. Okay. Forget yeah. About it. Um, yeah, a rat bomb is, I mean, that sounds like it would, yeah, we would. they would level. Like, it would turn into Gotham City in Dark Knight. In that third Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rising, mm-hmm. when the whole city blew up from underneath itself, yeah, that would be the rap bomb, or maybe, maybe the butterfly bomb. Oh God, I have a friend who's deathly afraid of butterflies. I'm not even gonna lie, really, really afraid of butterflies. He's a construction worker, and just like you couldn't put him anywhere near a butterfly, he'll freak out. Really, He's really. Funny. How do you de- how do you develop a phobia towards butterflies? <laughs> I don't know. According to him, it's like they have like legs and shit. I don't know it. <laughs> I think they have hilarious. legs and shit. <laughs> you know? I understand being scared of fireflies because they're pretty freaky looking. I don't know. I'm not afraid of fireflies. They're, they're all right in my book. Yeah, they're fine. But I understand, like, I don't enjoy, you know, when you're, like, walking in, like, a wooded area in the summertime uh-huh. and there's, like, you just hear the yep. by your ear and you're like, mm-hmm. fuck. And there's what is a that? huge firefly. Well, speaking of fireflies, uh, there was a variant of the Sherman tank called the Firefly. And mm-hmm. it was the ones that the British used. And that was the one that was featured pretty pretty heavily in um in the the movie fury with uh, brad pitt um so kind of coming full circle back to the tanks there um and they had some pretty awesome armaments on them uh much bigger much bigger main gun uh to kind of compete with that with those uh panzers and the tiger tanks yeah but was it still able to compete not on a one-on-one <laughs> yeah not on a not, not yeah. on a one-on-one i think going back to the the tank conversation i think what you had to do is that you had to just you know you had to sacrifice four four shermans and have a, the last sherman just get around it because i think the armor in the in the back of the panzer or the tiger i think they're i'm not sure which one but it was like they, the, the, the armor was, the armor was the thick it yeah. was, was uh not as thick in the back so not as I wish I could. Huh? I wish I could. I wish <laughs> I should probably start doing videos soon so I can do it. But like a tank would be like boom one, and then it would cork and turn the its gun boom, 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 and then finally Sherman would get in, in the backside. Well, they were a little bit faster than the uh, tank, so if they had the ability to maneuver around or at least distract them with a couple couple of other tanks in the front. Then you know it would have been possible to take them out. 
Um, but I want to um, clear, clear one thing up. So you asked me earlier, which, which tank would I stick with, you know, if we're on there? Um, and I said something to the effect of uh, the Russian tanks wouldn't be able to keep up with the production of the American tanks. And, and we found out, you know, just on our break when I was doing a little bit of review, evidently the T-34s, they made 80,000 of them. So even more than we did for the um, Sherman tanks. So I don't know. And, and the T-34s were objectively better, uh, I think, than the Sherman tanks too. So I think I think I might have to change over to the, to the, to the red side here. Well, yeah, of course. Um, the Sherman tank would be the last tank I would choose. It's just as far as numbers and then, uh, yeah. I mean, the populations in Russia, the population in the Soviet Union was 150 million, 160 million mm -hmm. during World War II, something like that. Mm -hmm. The U.S. population was probably close to that as well. Of course, they're going to have greater industrial capacity than the Germans. And they had some pretty interesting like ideas on, on how to make tanks. Like I just um, reviewed and I saw the one. It was called the T sixty, where they were trying to put a, they were trying to make a like a tank with a glider on it and like airdrop tanks. Talk about crazy, like a tank with wings. I heard, I, I actually heard about that. I think Dan Carlin and um one of his pod his one his podcast on um the Eastern Front War. I think he talked about that. I think he did talk about that. Can you imagine that? Right, like just a just a fleet of of gliding tanks just just dropping down on your city. And they well, were that, good good tanks too. Well, Russians had some sick ass helicopters in like the eighties. I don't know. Tanks are fucking heavy. They would have to use like a really large airplane to, to carry them. What was the do you know helicopters at all? Uh American helicopters. I'm not really good on, on like Russian ones, but I know they have some really good ones. The Russian helicopter in like the eighties, um what was it that they they primarily is like the Mil forty or something? Let me look that up. Because I don't want to sound like a total idiot. We already kind of sound like a total idiot. <laughs> Don't worry. Everyone already knows that you're a total idiot. Remember, it's called bro history because I'm not a professional historian. I'm just... If you want to come on and talk about Russian helicopters in the 1980s, like send us an email. Hit us up on Facebook. The Mill the, the, the MI-24. Okay. Um, that was the one that was primarily used in, like, um, in Afghanistan. Uh, All right, like I'm looking at it. It was like a fucking tank, a flying tank. And um, that just was... Well, they were blown out of the sky. Oh, a hind, a hind helicopter. Oh, the hind. Yeah, yeah. The, well, oh, that's that's the that. NATO reporting name. Yeah, I know these. Uh, the hind. Yeah, those. Are, yeah, those are insane. Do you remember this scene? This is so off to topic, but do you um, have you seen Charlie Wilson's War? Mm -mm. Oh no. Tell me about it. Oh, it's just about how um, we were funding the Mujahideen in uh, Afghanistan during the Soviet during the the Soviet Afghan War. And uh, there's this one scene where this this Russian um, fire fighter pilot is uh is like uh, you know he's on a bombing run and he's uh, talking on the radio and he's talking about like his relationship. He's like, oh, you know, she wants a commitment and I'm not ready and I'm not ready to settle yet. And you know, like these girls are all crazy and like he's in this hell like the fighter. He's just like on this monologue about how he's not ready for a commitment and how he's like. <laughs> Well, no, she wants to be exclusive. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you see one of the guys from the Mujahideen, the Taliban, just walk out, come out of a tree and blow him up with a stinger missile. Oh, Jesus. And, and it was like the first time that this guy's used a stinger missile. So he's so just like, whoa, that's whoa, this cool. is neat. <laughs> it's, just, it's, such a, it's such a funny part of the movie. 
Oh damn! Do you want to keep on going, or should we wrap this up? I don't know. I think I think we've we've got a lot out there. Uh, in conclusion, uh, Sherman tanks were both dope and sucked at the same time, and I think that they really helped. Uh, you know, a lot of the American economic industry. You know, being able to produce this many tanks really helped ramp up our own uh, homeland industries, but also kind of set the stage for for tank warfare in general. And I think. Um, from there, we were able to, to one-up ourselves and, and trying to keep up with, with uh, enemy tanks. And, and now I think we have some of the best tanks in the world. Well, of course. The U.S. Army has the best everything in the world right now. Yeah. I mean, our war game, the U.S. war machine from basically 1945 to present, has there, there's nothing close. There's nothing comparable to it. It's. And if you want to come on and say otherwise... No, no one's going to be able. No one. That's, that's it's an objective fact that yeah. the U.S. military is by far the most powerful military in the world with the best and probably equipment. Probably the history of the world. And, yeah, and the history like the the U.S. war machine makes the Roman war machine look like a, a joke. A fucking one a high one Sherman bully. tank can take out a whole legion of of <laughs> Roman. No, soldiers. I'm just saying rel- in relative in a yeah, relative no, no. sense. Like yeah, yeah. The, obviously the Ro- the Romans were great conquerors and uh, the U.S. We're great conquerors as yeah, well. I suppose you could say that. Yeah. We're, but uh, re- like relatively speaking, the U.S. war machine is more powerful in its height in terms of just comparisons than the Russians. Um, then, excuse me, the Romans, because the Romans, when they left, when they went to like the steppes in Asia, when when they wandered out far, like from Egypt in North Africa, and they ended up in like I guess where like Afghanistan is and Kazakhstan is, like they because they ventured out there. They would get fucking slaughtered by yeah. the by the step warriors, like yeah. the, the horseback warriors. They mm-hmm. would get, they would get their asses kicked. That's why they never really went out there. You always hear like stories about Roman generals going out into the into the step country of like Central Asia, and the whole armies just get, get slaughtered. Wrecked. Yeah, isn't absolutely. that the plot? Isn't that the plot of? Um, I think I might be completely wrong, but I think that's the plot of um, the Matt Damon movie, Matt Damon. Great Wall. <laughs> The Great, uh, Wall? the Great Wall, no, the Great Wall. Okay, that I'm movie wrong. is fucking weird, dude. That movie is about how is like, he, random how is like he... dragons. Oh, and it's shit not real, that. dude. It's fucking weird. It's a fantasy that movie. That movie is so weird. I thought it was a real. Uh... I mean, it was entertaining. Watch I thought it if you I didn't know it was a hours, fantasy but... film. I thought it was like yeah, a real dude, there film. There was like dragons and shit. Jesus like, Christ! Like well, wait, isn't that things. real? Aren't there dragons in China? No. Oh. No, not like these. <laughs> these okay. were like weird ass fucking. I don't know. You learn something every day. All right, I think this is a good note to end the things. All right, dude. All right, thanks for listening. Um, I guess we'll probably be back soon. And like oh and yeah, subscribe. It, <laughs> oh yeah, if you're if you're listening to this and you're enjoying the show, please please review it and give it a rating. If you're on iTunes, please it takes five seconds. Please go down. You scroll down on your phone. You'll see a star bar. Go to and, and give it a real rating. I'm not even asking you to be like, okay, give me a five star rating. Give me what you Maybe think give it is. Maybe five stars if you give if it you a really five like star. It. If you think it's a five star, because honestly, at this point, we're trying to improve every single episode. So we want like we want real feedback. You know, if you think that we suck, um, let us know on like, Facebook. We know to go improve. to our Facebook. All right, yeah. Go on iTunes. Go to five. Just give it a five star. Fuck it. <laughs> just give it a five star review. <laughs> give it a fucking five star review. I talk to the customers. I talk to the customers. What's wrong with you people? I talk to the customers so the, so the engineers don't have to. All right. Peace. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, 
Face-Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face-Off wherever you get your podcasts.